0: Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 251, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This episode, Newsweek says cameras are coming to elementary classrooms. What does that mean? Dismiss is the podcast that inspires educators through story each episode we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education plus we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community this episode expert tips on how to teach about climate change in the classroom and how to address climate change skepticism from parents stay with us Hello everybody, Ortego here, and I'm joined by friend, Chief Academic Officer, as well as co-host of the Class Dismiss podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing today?
1: You know, the last few times you've asked me that, I've said fantastic.
0: Yeah, you've been and doing I'm gonna good. tell y'all the truth. Okay.
1: Last week almost took me out. It's the middle of this week, and I am a survivor. I am surviving. I am okay.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that you're okay. Do you want to share what almost took you out? Just like accumulation of things?
1: It is accumulation of things. And my job is so vast i cover so many things and just some of the things that i have my hands in can just really wear you out uh emotionally and mentally and so i'm that's where i'm fatigued not physically tired although my peloton has been putting it on me hey
0: look i i see your instagram post of these like peloton rides and stuff that you do so kudos to you i did my
1: century ride last night what's that mean 100
0: rides okay nice congratulations that's awesome All right. So today I wanted to talk about something uh, that popped up in my feed. It's an article out of Newsweek. I think it's going to get you fired up a little bit. It's uh, the headline is cameras are coming to elementary school classrooms. Okay, please
1: stop it.
0: Right. Yes, I know. And so what does that mean? What are the motives? That's kind of what we're going to be discussing Um, But I'll start with the real-world scenario. They say that security cameras will be installed in Effingham County, Georgia elementary schools by next spring with every classroom being covered, according to local media reports. Um, It follows the local school board spending $2 million fitting cameras in high school classrooms with middle schools expected to follow shortly. And then by next spring, it should be the elementary schools. Uh, There's also been a couple states who have either tried or have passed Laws saying that um, there needs to be cameras in the classrooms. So, first, yes, give me your general reaction, then we'll dive down into why it's happening.
1: Do we want <laughs> teaching to remain a profession? That's my question. That's <laughs> that,
0: is a, that is a fair response.
1: <laughs> Do we want young people? to continue to go to ed programs at the undergraduate level and be excited about changing the world one child at a time and being recorded doing so. Is that what we want? I just don't feel great about this. Now, let me let me say this. We record classrooms all the time to provide a library of quality instructional strategies for teachers who need to up their game. We'll look at them together. We'll find all the great things happening, and then we try to go replicate it in these other classrooms. But a daily recording means that every day a teacher has to walk around Mm -hmm. anxiety ridden about who's watching them and what they think.
0: Agreed. Yeah. And so, all right, Superintendent Yancey Ford of Effingham County School Board claimed that the move is one of a number of new safety initiatives, in quotes, being introduced, which will also be an opportunity to, quote, highlight exemplary teachers. Um,
1: but from the angle that a security camera is posted, it's not the angle you need to record exemplarily you know delivered instruction now here are a few questions that maybe you can highlight for our guest one will audio be included and two what are the protections or the measures being put in place for teachers who all will have access Those is are the key basically questions. what i'm asking right um
0: i would assume I, audio I, I would be there this. why not if you're going to go that far at least have it to where audio I mean, if you're going to highlight a teacher, as they say, you need audio, right? So let's assume that audio is- So
1: when the teacher has a planning period, and it's a day where there are no parent conferences, there's no staff development or departmental meetings, and they want to sit in their classroom, grade some papers, and their spouse calls, and they've got to have a spat. Where do they have an actual moment to have the break that the U.S. labor laws require?
0: right and then on top of that you know it's like like you said who has access and then how often is it purged like how much data is being stored because that's a question that needs to be applied to license plate scanners cameras at the front of your neighborhood where they like are tracking people coming in and out like how long does the data stay there is it a month is it a year is it how about In perpetuity? Seven days. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like if it's just for safety, it doesn't need to be that long. Because if there was something that happened that needed to be reviewed, it's probably going to be caught within seven to 14 days, right? And other than that, it could be deleted. So You
1: know I always take the stance of devil's advocate. Let's just say, Nick you're a great teacher, you're a seasoned teacher, you're comfortable in your skin, you don't care about the cameras, because in your mind, you know, I do right here every day anyway, um, and so you don't worry about it, but the teacher next door who is constantly trying to be better, always comparing herself to you, who's trying to, you know, meet the expectations of leadership, the nervousness, and the anxiety that that teacher might experience is definitely going to impact the delivery of instruction, which will now be recorded and used to evaluate that person. Right. Which How do you think that's going to go?
0: I, I don't think that would go well. And it could get worse. Like, let me draw this out for you because we already have like cameras and daycares, not necessarily with audio, but that's already becoming but pretty we pay, common. But mm-hmm.
1: We're paying for you to care for our children. And so these are benefits of paying. Customers.
0: Mm-hmm. So, this is
1: public education where teachers have to deal with many things that a paid daycare client is not going to be allowed to do.
0: Right. And in 2002, uh legislators in Iowa introduced a bill requiring cameras to be placed in every public school classroom across the state according to NBC News um with the exceptions for sped classes and physical ed. Um the footage would be broadcast by live stream and made available to parents with school staff fined up to 5% if their of their weekly salary if they attempted to obstruct the cameras. So that was a bill that was introduced. I don't know. That and you
1: said where? It,
0: this was Iowa. And huh. and apparently Florida introduced a similar bill, which did not pass. But just the fact that our our legislators or some legislators think that this is a good idea is concerning to me.
1: Well, let me just take it a step further. Over $2 million on cameras to watch what teachers are doing or millions of dollars invested in your teachers' salaries to continue to get the best teachers where you won't need cameras. Mm. Right. I don't know. Just a thought.
0: Yeah. And I guess I really always I don't like to question people's motives, but like, why is why are some conservative legislators pushing for this? Like what's the end goal? Is it really just to let parents watch? Because I don't, I don't think many parents will. They might chime in if they feel like something's going on. Well,
1: I'm a working parent, so I certainly wouldn't right. have time don't, for that.
0: Exactly, and and then is it because people are out there are concerned about what's being said in the classroom and they want extra? Are set they of trying eyes? to
1: make sure certain content right. or certain standards are not being delivered in those classrooms against their conservative wheels? I don't know.
0: That's what it feels like. But let's let's back up a little bit again. Effingham County school uh, schools which is in Georgia is actually doing this. Now I from what I the way I read it from these local media reports it's not so parents can watch, but it is so there is a record of what's being said and done in the classroom at least for administrators. And I don't even know that that's a good idea. So
1: I, you know, there's going to be pros and cons to it all the way. That's that's understood. But if the teachers, if there's something in place to protect the rights of the teachers, if there was complete buy in and understanding from the beginning, if teachers overwhelmingly feel comfortable with it because, you know, what are you, it's just for administrators. They're already physically in the classroom observing us anyway, so they can be anywhere at a meeting, off campus, anywhere in the state, and they can take a peek in my classroom. Or if I'm having a moment and there's a kid that's really giving it to me, I can send a text message and say, hey, peek at my classroom. I need you to see what I was telling you about little Jimmy, what he does every Monday. You know, if we have a culture of understanding between the teachers and the administrators, then I see nothing wrong with it. But it's going to be all about the process of implementation for me.
0: Yeah. And I think if I were trying to make a case for like how to pull this off, there would be a couple things I would want. And um, one would be I would want a tally light, so to speak, like a light that's saying like somebody is watching this live. So mm-hmm. basically the camera lights up and you can see that you're kind of being watched. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I would want it purged within 48 hours because if it's truly for safety, like, right. it doesn't need to just live somewhere where somebody can go and review what you're doing and everything. Like, if this is truly for safety, if something happens, you can quickly go and hit a button and say, save that, save that, you know, we're going to, we have a reason we want to archive this particular recording. But other than that, it should be deleted. Um, and there really shouldn't be allowed for a principal or a, a, an assistant principal to kind of play gotcha with a teacher in the classroom.
1: And I And I just have to go ahead and say this. I don't ever want to see any of those recordings leaked on TikTok or right. any other social media, yeah, that exactly. would be disheartening
0: Well, and so that you just raised a good point, right? So with me with my media background, is that public record now, right? Because just about everything in the because, school district's public listen, record.
1: I just saw an article about the major increase in public records requests
0: mm-hmm. i I mean, if it were if I had picked, had a phone call from a, an upset parent, right? I think my teacher's doing blah blah, blah, blah blah. I would consider, as a journalist, to go. All right, let me send uh, a letter to the Laurel County uh, School District and say, or Laurel mm-hmm. City School District, and say, "Hey, uh, I want all recordings, um, from this date to this date, from in this classroom." And I feel like that is public record. Like they would probably have a hard time not handing that over to me because it was paid for with taxpayer dollars and so. Exactly. Forth. So it's just like an email, right? So, uh, yeah, again, more reason for it to be purged and more reason really just not to do it. But anyways, Newsweek says it's happening. So I guess we'll wait and see. I'm interested to know. Let's <laughs> keep tabs on it. <laughs> All right. Uh, are you ready for today's bright idea? Yeah, bring it on. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here to help educators address climate change causes and impacts and give educators some pointers on how to address climate change skepticism. Mark Winchettel is a professor of science teaching and learning at the University of Washington, but he's also a former middle school science teacher. His new book is titled Teaching Climate Change, Fostering Understanding, Resilience, and a Commitment to Justice. Mark, welcome to class dismissed.
2: Thank you, Nick. It's good to be
0: here with you. This is exciting for me, but it also makes me a little bit anxious. And I'm going to tell you a personal story of why I get anxious when I talk about climate change. My my background um, is actually in broadcast journalism, and I was a broadcast uh, weather guy, right? Like I was a weather guy for an ABC and NBC affiliate for several years. And mm-hmm. I, being in that position, I was aware of just how polarizing... The discussion of climate change can be. It's like I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to educate my audience about it, but I knew if I did, in the audience that I had, I would get a lot of pushback from at least. It would probably be a minority, but it was a vocal minority of the audience. And and I Mm -hmm. can't help but wonder, like, how many educators out there feel kind of like I did, like they want to educate their students about it, but they know some parents are going to pick up the phone and and say, "This isn't real," basically.
2: Yeah. Well, let me pick up first, Nick, on the thread you just talked about, um, talking about the weather or the climate on the news. I was a middle school teacher, as you said, in the Midwest, in the same city where you might have heard that a Des Moines, Iowa weathercaster resigned from his position because he was simply speaking in very factual terms Mm -hmm. about shifts in the climate in Iowa. And he got some very... Um, as you suggested, he got what he considered hate mail, mm-hmm. um, threats, and so he resigned. And so, what you're talking about is very real. I'm sure that's happening in other places around the country. It just doesn't make the news.
0: Yeah, and then that was noble of him to probably speak out. But at the same time, you know, it's like I, I when my position, when I was doing, it, I was kind of like, I got to pick my battles. Is it worth? you know, the hate mail and and possibly losing my job over speaking truth. You know, it's it's kind of sad. And and I kind of wonder, like, does do teachers feel like that maybe?
2: Well, it depends on the community and it depends on the state. As you can imagine, you know, you take a look at the national map and you could just see areas of the country where you know there's going to be more communities where parents and other people in the community may give school teachers pushback for trying to teach about anything about climate change, even if it's just basic. Um, information about what counts as climate versus weather from you know factual stuff that was taught to us when we were kids back in the 70s and 80s but still that threatens some people and so it's there are different pockets of the country and teachers know their communities very well Mm -hmm. they're they're not going to be super surprised that somebody got upset or that parents were thankful that they addressed climate change with their kids so number one Teachers know their communities and they kind of know their parents pretty well. And so that gives them an advantage in how they might communicate what they're going to teach to parents.
0: I do think maybe over the past few years, I've been off air for six, seven years. I feel like there is a, a broader adoption of the fact that Climate change is real. I think, you know, there's still people out there like, did humans cause it? Did not? I'm not sure. You know, there's that. But I think more and more people are getting on board. And I think in your, in your book, Teaching Climate Change, you actually show a chart where basically 79% of adults say, yes, humans are probably causing climate change. And I think 86% of teens are probably causing climate change. Um, so mm-hmm. I am guess what I'm getting at is it doesn't seem like the kids are going to necessarily push back. The pushback might come from their parents, if anywhere.
2: Yeah, that's, that's very likely. You're, you're right. We, we had some really outstanding um, findings from not just the two major studies I cited, uh, but other studies as well are consistently showing that uh, percentages in the 70s, mid 70s of uh, American adults think that climate change is happening and the other question about whether humans are causing it is a separate question, and some people who would say yes to the first question, it's happening, may be lukewarm or say, well, I'm not sure the humans are causing it. And y- there's yet other questions that follow, like, is it enough? Is it concerning enough to you that we should take action on it? You know, these are these are very different questions. It's, it's interesting to parse who says yes, maybe, kind of, or no on on that series of questions but the kids really who were interviewed um, in uh, in these studies, they were like 5% more concerned than their parents, 5% 5 in addition to the 70 plus for adults, um, said that climate change was happening and they were quite sure, you know, this is in the 80, 85% range. And what people don't always see in the details of those studies is that children of color were about 5% more concerned uh, than their white counterparts.
0: Any hypothesis as to why?
2: I think that children of color may be closer to environmental injustice in general, whether or not it's associated with the climate. There are all kinds of other environmental injustices um, where people's neighborhoods are you know, near toxic sites or landfills, or there's a history of that, that the kids hear about from their parents or grandparents. This is very real for many children of color. Mm -hmm. The original uh, environmental activist um, to fight racism, environmental racism, her name is Hazel Johnson, and she was from Chicago. And she recognized that a, a suburb of Chicago Called Alt Gardens had something like 30 landfills in an area that was just a third of a square mile. And almost all the residents in that area were were people of color. So that began a long history of environmental justice before we even got to climate change per se.
0: So okay, so and we're gonna drill into actually educating about climate change in a second, but kind of the last question to wrap this up. What would you tell an educator um, who might be on the fence about approaching the topic?
2: First of all, would it, would this be a science teacher? Because if it's a science teacher, clearly in our standards, I mean, if that's what motivates people, they're going to teach what's in the standards, then climate change is in the standards in almost all the states in one form or another. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be dutiful about that, then that should tip you in favor of of teaching about climate change. And there's different ways to teach about climate change. I mean, you can you can be very matter of fact, you can uh, teach about it without intimating what will happen in the future, because, you know, what scares people is not just what's happening now, but if teachers in classrooms begin to say, you know, there are things that are called scientific climate models, and they actually predict what will happen in the future with temperatures, with sea level rise, and that's a choice that teachers make. Am I going to go there? That is a little bit more risky. Um, and by risky, I, I don't mean that people should not do that. I, In the book, I'm very clear that people should talk about the, the past data we have, present data we have, and models for the future as, as valid. Um, they they act quite accurately predict um, what's, what's going to happen in the near term and the far term. Teachers should be addressing that with their kids. Um, You you also want to think about communicating with parents. So if I was a teacher, a science teacher in a school like a middle school or a high school, I would get together with peers and I would say, "What is a respectful letter that we can write to our parents to let them know we're going to teach about climate change?" Now, in some schools, you would never need to write a letter and send it off. But in some schools, teachers feel they would need to communicate with parents. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? What can we write in a letter? Let's describe the science and what we're going to teach of the science. Let's not make that a secret. Um, Let's also get our administrators on board and make sure that we have the vocal and public support of our administrators in what we're teaching. And are we going to teach about the climate science by itself, or are we also going to include the science of solutions? Like when you're talking about renewable energy forms, when you're talking about smart buildings, walkable cities, all of these are really energizing um, engineering tasks, tasks for kids. And there's actually more science in that than there is in the climate problems themselves. So it can be quite compelling for kids. The other thing I would say about letters home to parents is that parents may not talk about the climate or the future of the climate with their children around the home. It differs from family to family, but there are there's widespread climate anxiety among children, not just in the U.S. but globally. And some parents may not be aware of, of how concerned their child is about the climate. And children just want to learn a little more.
0: That's so, true. Yeah, because sometimes kinds
2: of things I would think about communicating.
0: A lot of times, when someone's anxious about something, information gives them comfort. You know, so that would that would make sense, and that's that's sound advice. Yeah. You
2: know, kids have access to what I call a shadow curriculum. And that is what they see in their phones every day. Right. And you know, everybody gets into their little media bubble, but kids will, no matter what kind of social media or news outlets, say, they take a look at every day, there are going to be climate stories on there. And you can imagine a, a child going from kindergarten through senior level in high school, and none of their teachers talk about climate, not in social studies, not in science. And yet kids are seeing this stuff on their phone, these stories every single day. And then the question for a lot of these kids is, why aren't my teachers talking about this?
0: Give us a grade as a country in K-12 education. Like, are we an A, B, C, D? Um, how are we doing when it comes to educating students about climate change?
2: Well, that that is an interesting question, Nick, because there was a study that just came out that did exactly that. It was by the North American Environmental uh, Education Association, and they had 800 teachers and administrators across the country grade their schools from A to F on different elements of climate change teaching. And the two aspects of climate change teaching that got generally A's and B's, did pretty well, was teaching about climate change itself and how we can help prevent climate change. It was a super broad question. Um, but teachers also gave failing marks to the facets of uh, social justice, of um, of working with indigenous ways of knowing and indigenous um, traditions in caring for the land. Um, Mental health was given failing grades by over a third of the teachers. They just were not addressing mental health in their schools related to climate change. And so I think the teachers know best what's getting taught in their schools. And we kind of know where we've got work to do.
0: Okay. So um, with the book, Teaching Climate Change, what was the driving force for you? Were you trying to reach out to the science teachers, so to speak, and say, here's the curriculum that you should be working on? Where were you going with this?
2: Yeah, I didn't want to be too broad, I, I. but I do want to make clear that climate change is something that impacts the the subject matter specialties of everybody in a school, uh, from science, most obviously, but also social studies. There are so many stories uh, that relate to what we typically teach in social studies. So You may have heard that children in Montana have just won this enormous court case where um, the judge made a decision that certain uh, companies or the state of Montana was not providing a, a clean and healthy environment for the children's future. So that's all about governance. It's about civic activism. And that's something that, that's a story that should be told in a social studies class mm-hmm. as much as a science class. So, and there's language arts, there's, there's incredible work being done with people doing creative, getting kids to write creatively, poetry, short stories, uh, zines about their own sense of what's happening with the climate and their relationship to it. So, um, yeah, that would have been, that would have been a book that was too broad if I embraced all that, but this book is for science teachers primarily. And I included things in there like, um, not just the science of climate change to, to get everybody a foothold on the basics of climate change, but also things like disinformation, things like how social justice should figure into your teaching, um, all kinds of um, ideas about solutions. I don't know if anybody has ever, any of your listeners have been to the website drawdown.org, but it's an amazing website that has hundreds and hundreds of solutions for decarbonizing our atmosphere and our oceans. And um, teaching about solutions is really exciting. That's when the wind comes back and the sails for the kids, they get energized talking about um, the possibilities of a desirable future. So I included that in the book as well.
0: So if you were speaking to, say, like, a, let's say you're a keynote speaker at a big teacher conference somewhere, and you're speaking to a room of 2,000 educators, uh, what's the message you'd want them to take away? I would say there's, this is where you have to really
2: curate what it is you're going to say, because there are four or five big messages that you should make sure that teachers understand. But if I had to pick a couple, I would say that now is the time to take up climate change teaching but work with your colleagues to do it because coherence in a school is going to be as or more important than a single superstar teacher by coherence i mean that teachers should get together and across different grade levels and class sections and say okay what part of climate change teaching makes sense for you to address in grade three, in grade five. And what am I gonna address? Let's make our curriculum both within a school year and across school years, let's make it both cumulative and coherent for kids. That's where the power is gonna lie. We can no longer depend on those heroic teachers and there are plenty of miracle worker teachers out there who are willing to take all of this on their shoulders. But just as with the climate, it's not sustainable from a personal standpoint. This is why whenever you talk about climate change teaching, you almost always have to remind teachers about self-care and wellness, how to take care of yourself, because it is challenging.
0: Well, I mean, do you think that's happening in a lot of places? I mean, would you say 10%, 20%, 50% of the country is already doing that in our schools where they are doing that cohesive? They're actually having a discussion. How are we going to teach this? When are we going to start teaching it? Or do you say that's not really that likely to happen so far?
2: I am working with a few teachers and schools where that is happening, but there isn't any data about really out there about the, the coherence factor. Uh, There are stories about states who put climate change front and center in their state standards Mm -hmm. uh, at every single grade level and across different subject matters. And New Jersey is one of those who uh, who has already done that. Connecticut is working on it. And there are other states that are in the process. So at the state level, super helpful to do that. But as far as what we know of how Different groups of teachers are banding together to make this coherent trajectory for their kids from, let's say, K to 12. We don't have much data at all.
0: You mentioned third grade. Should we be starting sooner? Should we be starting in kindergarten, first grade, or?
2: Uh, that's a good question because there are developmental issues. Um, some are some are about the complexity of the subject matter, and some are about the emotional freight of teaching about climate change, particularly. the the more apocalyptic versions of climate change. Um, So for kids younger than third grade, my sense of what's recommended is is that you can talk about the environment in positive terms, give it's an opportunity from probably pre-K through three. It's an opportunity to get kids to understand and develop a sense of care and stewardship about the environment, treat the environment as though it is a whole ecology of parts that are really interdependent with one another and have value in and of themselves. The trees, the fungi, the plants, even humans should be considered equal to and just part of the environment. That is the, that's the the—that's the primary mission for pre-K through three, I would say. Once you get past kids who are eight years old, nine years old, you can begin to talk to them about how people treat the environment in better and worse ways and what the consequences might be.
0: We talk about solutions, right? Like, you know, wind, solar, electric cars, whatever. There's there's a lot of, you know, what I would call the more obvious ones. One solution, and I may be completely off base, but one thing that I feel like our country is not prepared to have a discussion about is um, beef, livestock. Um, you know, it has a pretty big climate global warming impact, if you will. Am I wrong about that? No,
2: you're, you're right on. In fact, um, it connects with the idea of uh, working with third graders because I, in the book, I write about a third grade classroom that was studying deforestation in the context of the Amazon rainforest. And you probably know, Nick, why they're, why a lot of that acreage, I mean, square miles of it every day are being just torn out and burned of, of forest land. And that a lot of that is for beef cattle grazing. And so these kids in third grade were studying what the impact of deforestation is and how it fragments ecosystems. And there was some hints about what that land was actually used for. It was used to graze cattle. Now, the kids are probably not at the age at which they could appreciate and understand what it means, how it would da- further damage the environment um, beyond that. But they did feature that, and that is in the book. So when you mentioned all those different solutions like electric vehicles comes to mind or smart buildings uh, that kind of control their own temperature um, produce their own sources of heat and cooling Um, those actually those are valuable for all of us citizens to get on board with but if you take a look at that drawdown.org website they have listed the top 10 solutions that would take the most carbon out of the environment And electric vehicles is not even in the top five, believe it or not, the top in the top five are food waste and plant-based diets. Those are two of the top five. So it is super important for all of us to just take stock of what we're eating and how we're eating and what we're throwing away. There There was a recent study a couple of recent studies that said that people would not have to go like meatless in order to have a huge positive impact on the environment. Even if people cut out 30% of the meat that they eat over the course of a week, it would have a huge positive impact. So that message needs to be told because you're right, Nick. What you're suggesting is to switch to a vegetarian diet totally for everybody. Is going to be a bridge too far in some communities. You know, even if food waste or plant based diets were jacked up to their maximum potential, it still would not impact uh, the amount of carbon in our atmosphere to make a huge impact, a downward impact in climate change. And so the lots of people have just used the phrase, we need to pull all the levers. So it does include electric vehicles. It does include dropping food waste, fast fashion. You should look up fast fashion, Nick, and just see what that is doing to our environment. Is that like
0: Um, H&M, Shein, like these companies that are constantly just churning out lots of clothes for cheap? Yeah.
2: Yeah. They're manipulating people. And this has to do with schooling too, because they're manipulating very young people, most of whom are school age, college, K-12, and they are trying to get them to just buy new buy new all kinds of clothing because the in two weeks whatever you're wearing goes out of style and people throw uh, the average american believe it or not throws away 80 pounds of clothing per year that's that's just people in other parts of the world in the global south would be absolutely stunned at throwing out 80 pounds of clothing that is not ripped or torn or discolored it's perfectly wearable it's just not in fashion and so fast fashion is super problematic not because of these clothing these clothing items go into landfills they reduce carbon they release carbon dioxide and methane that's one side of it the uh, the other side of it is there are all of these items of clothing most of them are produced in the global south where there's no control over labor conditions and the people making all of this clothing are paid absolute minimum wage working under terrible conditions so we can do a lot of good by reducing things like fast fashion.
0: Yeah, it's frustrating because it's like a, a pair of denim jeans would will last you 20 years. But society says, oh, we're no longer wearing jeans that are skinny. Now you've got to wear bell bottoms or whatever, you know, like that. They just constantly change what's in and we end up with the result that you're talking about. Um, yeah, exactly. so so with with the book, if somebody, you know, needed this, wants to wants to go pick up a copy. How do they go about doing that?
2: Well, Harvard Ed Press is a publisher and so you can go right to their website. It's it's on Amazon and so you can get the book there. And I will say I've made um, a, a comp- an accompanying website. It's called The Climate Educator and uh, you probably if you google that in the next few weeks it'll rise up the the you know the Google list so to speak and and you probably be able to find it. And what I've done is I've I knew that everything I put in the book should be updatable, but you can't keep writing books month after month after month. So I made a companion website that people can, can reference. And there also, there's also information there about how to order the book. Well, there's information there about how to start a book club uh, and what kind of what kind of uh, strategies you can use for using the book in a book called club context with fellow educators?
0: So um, let's talk a little bit more about the website. As you said, it's the Climate Educator. Is it is it actually .dot com or something else or .dot, dot org .dot org? Gotcha.
2: So, and there's a dash in between the Climate Educator dashes in between.
0: And again, uh, the book is titled Teaching Climate Change, Fostering Understanding, Resilience, and a Commitment to Justice, uh, available on Amazon. So are you ready for our pop quiz?
2: Oh my gosh, okay.
0: All right, first question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be?
2: It should be an interdisciplinary class, that's what I think.
0: (laughs) Okay, hedging your bets a little, I get it. Uh, (laughs) What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching?
2: Uh, how to cope with the emotions associated with climate change in productive ways.
0: What does every child deserve?
2: Every child deserves the truth about their future, and they deserve to be able to imagine a desirable future and what it would take to help them get there.
0: What's the biggest challenge for today's educators?
2: I think they are overworked with lots of responsibilities and things that they have to check off every single day, which makes the shift to climate change teaching a little bit more challenging. It seems to a lot of educators that it's adding one more thing, but we'll we'll figure that out.
0: What's the best gift to give an educator? (laughs)
2: I I know this because I was a teacher, get a gift card to Home Depot because teachers are always buying their own stuff for their classroom and they need the choice of like a Home Depot.
0: Which teacher changed your life?
2: I had uh, a biology teacher when I was in high school who allowed us to do all kinds of experiments on our own and make sense of the science rather than trying to get us to reproduce basic canonical knowledge and then get tested on memorizing all that. And when I took that class, I thought, there is a different way to learn. And this seems uh, more authentic than taking a test.
0: That's really cool. Um, What's a book that you've read, love, and want to recommend to our listening audience? Again, I'm connecting
2: it to climate change. There's a book by an author named Amitav Ghosh called The Great Derangement. And it's about climate change, but he addresses it from a great literature perspective. It's it's beautiful. And it's a sobering at the same time.
0: Again, uh, Mark, we appreciate you coming on Class Dismissed. The book is Teaching Climate Change, Fostering Understanding Resilience and a Commitment to Justice. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was super enlightening. Thank you, Nick. It was fun. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at class or tweet us at dismiss.